How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for being here, and welcome to another show. Mm. Ah, you're right. We're back. What was that? <laughs> I just, I was going to say something, and then I decided not to say it, and so that was me literally reversing in real time. Fascinating. Well, you know what I'm doing today, and it actually is a bit, it's a bit late to be doing this, but I'm excited to be doing it tonight. What? I'm going to be doing my vision board for 2021. Yeah, girl, you're like literally two months late. It's like about to be the one end month. of February. <laughs> no, it literally like, next week is the end of February. It is my done. My vision board will be like Your cut vision off. is no. done. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's done for this year. If you don't set it in January, then it's done. Is there a rule? Who creates the rules for the vision boards? I don't know. I think I created that on the spot, but I just still feel (laughs) that that's the rules. I I thought that, but you know what? I'm not going by the rules and I'm not going by this limiting belief that you need to, like, resolutions and goals can only start come January 1st. And then if you start any after that, it doesn't make sense. Then what's the point of creating a vision board if you're just going to do it every single day for the rest of the year? That's just your vision's shifting. Yeah, always. Uh, maybe I'll put on my vision board an open field because well, that represents the idea that it's always open. Tell me the vision of the show. What are we talking about? Today? Okay. Oh, nice segue. <laughs> uh, coming up, Joe Biden's presidential CNN town hall. We're breaking it all down and what you might have missed. And Texas lawmakers are trying to pass pro-LGBTQ proposals, but do they have a chance? We've got Texas State Representative Jessica Gonzalez joining us at 520 Pacific, 820 Eastern for that. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Speaking of Texas, millions are still without power as winter storms are continuing. And Austin Mayor Steve Adler spoke out about it today. Yes, we are asking people to do things that go beyond anything uh, that we should be asking for. We're asking everybody in the city that has power to, to treat uh, this as if they did not to, to conserve, uh, to lower their thermostats and then lower them again. To, even if you have power to, to use candles and, and flashlights. Uh, this is a rough place we're in right now and there's no guarantee of immediate relief. Meanwhile, former Texas Governor Rick Perry is suggesting that going days without power is a sacrifice Texans should be willing to make if it means keeping federal regulators out of the state's power grid says someone who's probably in a warm home with lights today, (laughs) as he says that. (laughs) Now, moving on, the House of Representatives is expected to vote on the Equality Act, the federal bill that would add sexual orientation and gender identity to federal civil rights legislation. As of next week, uh, the Equality Act has been introduced in every session of Congress since 2015. 
In 2019, the House of Representatives passed the bill for the first time, but the Republican-controlled Senate did not bring it up for a vote. Former President Trump opposed the bill, saying that it would threaten to undermine parental and conscience rights. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? We have the first look into Demi Lovato's new documentary, and whoa, it's kind of intense. It's time for your tea report those pop culture stories trending right now. Okay, so Demi Lovato, she's releasing her 64th documentary, um, but this time she's revealing all. I had three strokes. I had a heart attack. My doctors said that I had five to 10 more minutes. This clip that we just heard is very intense. The trailer is way intense. I just wanted to pull specifically this moment um, from the trailer uh, because Demi Lovato, Dancing with the Devil is the title and it's set to premiere on March 23rd. Um, It will give fans an in-depth look at Demi Lovato's life in the spotlight throughout the past few years, exploring everything from her near fatal overdose in 2018 to how she overcame her struggles with an inspiring musical comeback and personal awakening. It even touches on the start and end of that really if what feels like toxic engagement that she was in. So, yeah, she's spilling all the tea in this new documentary. Um, I'm happy she's on the other side of this, it seems, and that she feels safe and vulnerable enough to share it with everyone. I think it could really help others too suffering like she did yeah I've you know that was a joke earlier when I said 64th documentary but she has released about three of them and it's just it's like true right it's <laughs> she releases documentaries all the time which I love that that's her form of storytelling this one has a lot of her 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 friends and the people in her circle in, included in this one even telling their own stories about you know them being a part of certain periods of her life and so I don't know it'll be it'll be interesting for sure but that's the tea report i do want to tell you you have we have your chance to win your way into an exclusive pay-per-view concert special with max head over to we are channel q and enter for your chance to win a pair of passes plus a vip meet and greet with max nice okay coming up on the show why what's happening in texas could have been avoided and their independent grid is part of the problem we explain next Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. What's happening in Texas is just absolutely tragic. The grid, the power grid got crushed because its operators didn't see the need to prepare for cold weather. So what happened? Could this have been avoided? Well, Will England is with us, energy reporter for the financial section and a veteran Moscow correspondent for The Washington Post. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, yes, it could have been avoided, or at least it could have been, you know, mitigated. In, in the short term, uh, a lot of people are raising questions about whether the operators paid attention to the weather forecast. Yeah, so and, I want to get into that. But first, can you explain exactly, catch people up on what's going on in terms of the power grid how, and how this even happens? This really, really cold weather sweeps through Texas, sweeps through the whole middle of the United States. And people naturally, you know, try to crank up the thermostat and keep their, warm up their houses. And a lot of houses use electric uh, heating systems. So this puts a tremendous demand on the um, utilities uh, across the whole state. And it, but at the same time, uh, because it's so cold, most of the, the majority of the electricity in Texas comes from power plants that use natural gas. And the natural gas reserves were freezing up essentially. I mean, natural gas is sort of can, can be difficult to store. So you have to pump it and the pumps were freezing. 
moisture within the pipelines, water moisture was freezing, yeah. diesel engines that are required to run the pumps were refused to start. So just as demand is peaking, by spiking, um, one power plant after another is going off. We got that, but they're not connected to the rest of the country, which I don't think people realize. And that was That's a decision that they made because is it out of corporate greed because corporations just wanted to own it themselves privately? It 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 has some little connections with the country, but not not they're not interconnected anywhere near like the other states. It was a Texas thing. I don't think it was corporate greed so much. It was like Texas decides, you know, we can do this. We're we can do we can do it on our own. Um, it goes back quite a long ways. So what so, happens though? I, I do want to know what happens to Texans who are like literally sitting in these freezing cold, <laughs> this freezing cold weather with no electricity. What happens when the power gets turned back on? Are they going to well, have these high expensive power bills at this point? Like how does that work? Well, that, I mean, that's the thing. The price of the wholesale price of electricity has gone through the roof in Texas. Um, that, you know, that probably won't last long once the temperature gets above freezing again. And in the very short term, the, the utility companies that buy the electricity and pass it on to the consumers have to bear that, that short spike in prices. And, you know, you know how things work in the long term, that's probably going to be passed on to the yeah. consumer. Um, you know, but there's going to be a huge drain on the system as people are coming online and they're, they're asking Texans to, you know, you know turn off your appliances um, before you get your power back so that it doesn't immediately knock the whole system off again. Yeah. Again, we're talking to Will England, uh, energy reporter for the Washington Post. I, I guess, why should the rest of the country care right now? Why is this a national story? Besides us obviously caring that people are hurting and dying because of this. Well, you know, we last summer in California, a uh, very different state we, and very different weather. It was very hot. We had very close to the same situation. Uh, the, the grid in California failed. It's connected to the rest of the country, but it failed anyway. Um, and now Texas has failed. And so some people are saying, you know, this, these, are, these are indications of what we're going to be looking at, particularly as climate change seems to be stirring up stronger and stronger heat waves, cold spells, hurricanes, um, you know, uh, thunderstorms, tornadoes. Um, you know, we're, it's, uh, we're heading into a time of more dramatic weather and uh, it comes after years of minimal investment in the long-term strength of our electric system. And I guess I want to know, why is alternative energy to blame, according to the Republicans and folks like Tucker Carlson, who said it seems pretty clear that a reckless reliance on windmills is the cause of this disaster? Yeah, you know, it's, it's an easy, easy shot for them to try to take, but it makes no sense. Um, there were windmills, wind turbines that froze. Uh, they didn't need to have places like, you know, Denmark, uh Iceland have turbines, Canada have turbines that, that don't freeze because they have, you know, warming mechanisms and de-icers in them. Um, Texas didn't want to pay for those. But even so, <laughs> nice. even yeah. so, the loss of power from the wind turbines, was it was measurable, but it was dwarfed entirely by the loss of power from the um, natural gas burning power plants that had to go offline because they didn't have any natural gas. So where do we go from here, um, will there be a lawsuit? How do you hold these uh, companies accountable? 
Well, uh, there will be a study of this by the federal government, um, which, you know, is the, a repeat of one they did just exactly a decade ago when something similar happened in Texas. There'll be recommendations and most likely nothing will come of them. There will undoubtedly be lawsuits. There are, are always lawsuits. And, you know, this storm, this incident may help push people toward thinking about a 21st century variation. Well, that was Will England, energy reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you so much for enlightening us today. You're very welcome. Coming up on the show, the takeaways from Joe Biden's CNN town hall last night. We'll be back with that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. President Joe Biden took part in his first town hall since entering the White House last month, answering questions from CNN's Anderson Cooper and, of course, audience members in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And here to break it all down, share what you might have missed is Drexel Hurd, political analyst and executive director of the L.A. Democrats. Oh, thanks for having me back. Uh, it's been a while. So let's talk about this. Uh, what stood out for you in terms of his performance and what the public learned? Sorry, I think, uh, yeah, look, I think last night the, the president did really well. I think uh, what he showed America is exactly why he got elected. Uh, and what people love about Joe Biden, that kind of Scranton, um, down-to-earth, um, very folksy, man that joe biden uh, was on the campaign trail that we've known joe biden as vice president to president obama and that we're going to continue to get to know of him as president i think the one the, some of the best parts were where he knew that he was going over the time uh that he was talking and he would uh, say i'm, I'm going to get in trouble for this for going over time uh and then he would tell that person hey why don't you reach out to my staff after so we can continue and get you the best answer possible uh, and I think those are, you know, the, the, the realism of Joe Biden is uh, what's going to make him uh, a successful president uh, because people can relate to that. And I think uh, that was on display last night. Was that enough for the people who did vote for him, but they voted for him because they didn't want Donald Trump in the office? And I guess I, I asked that is because there's a lot of uh, flack for his answer on if we were going to get a cancellation of $50,000 of student loan debt. Here is that clip before we get to your answer. I will not make that happen. It depends on whether or not you go to a private university or a public university. It depends on the idea that I say to a community, I'm going to forgive the debt, the billions of dollars of debt for people who have gone to Harvard and Yale and Penn and schools, my children. I went to a great school, I went to a state school. Um, but is that going to be forgiven rather than use that money to provide for early education for young uh, children who are come from disadvantaged circumstances? What is that enough? Because I think people who voted for Joe Biden, just it, despite voting, you know, for Donald Trump, that alarms me that that was his answer. Well, I don't think it should alarm anybody. I think the president's priorities have been clear for the past uh, 20 something days since he uh, got sworn in. I think that that's something that people forget. It's only been 20 something days. Uh, he can't wave a magic wand and things magically happen. Uh, he's still dealing with a pandemic that's raging, even though vaccines uh, are rolling out faster than they have been before when there was not a plan given over to his administration. Uh, he also has an American recovery plan that he will continue to, to work through Congress and through uh, the House 
House and the Senate uh, to make sure it gets passed. Uh, that includes $1.9 trillion uh, to help make sure that there's a vaccine rollout, to make sure that schools can get back open, uh, and to make sure that small businesses can get back uh, up and running uh, as well. Uh, so I think those are those priorities. I think when you start getting into the weeds of other promises, there's a long time uh, that, ha- that we still have 100 days. We're only in the first 20. Uh, I think on the president's answer about student loans, it reminds us that the president is very much uh, comes from the legislative branch and believes in co-equal branches of government, that he can't just govern by executive order all the time, uh, and that he does need buy-in from the other uh, 100 senators and 535, uh, 435 uh, House members. Uh, and so that is part of that answer, because if you listen to that answer, what he followed up with was, he said, I don't believe that I have the authority to do X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to need Congress to step in and complete what they want us me to do. Yeah, that could be looked uh, at as a little bit of like a way of uh, not taking responsibility for it. Well, look, but, it yeah. is, but but that's the same thing for uh, Ch- uh, Senator Schumer and Senator Warren. Uh, if they wanted to put a bill on the president's desk to wipe out student debt, they could. Uh, so instead of passing, but they the are debt, right. Aren't they working on that? What I'm saying is, is that is that they're waiting on the president to do something instead of them putting the bill through that when they know they can may or may not get it through right now and and put it on the president. I thought yeah. they were trying to do an executive order. They want the president to do an executive order. Right. Yeah, so throwing each other's So uh, everybody's trying to, yeah, everybody's trying to move the ball. And that is one that's not surprising because, yeah, it is an extreme move and maybe it will happen at a certain point, but there are other priorities, obviously, with the pandemic relief bill and everything everything. Uh, Again, we're talking to Drexel Hurd, who's executive director of the LA County Democrats. Now, he also, uh, interestingly enough, uh, and he's been playing this game, not mentioning Trump. It seems like that's a strategy. Just leave it behind. Let's not bring up the T word. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, like I said, the president seems to be very focused on his administration and not the failures of the last administration. And uh, I know that that I think that the former president Trump came up briefly in a question about whether or not the other presidents had called him. And I think the president said, uh, you know, I've talked to all of them except for one. Uh, and then he gave a little smirk and he moved on. <laughs> again, that was Drexel Heard, political analyst and executive director of the L.A. County Democrats. Thanks again, as always. Great to Thanks, have you guys. here. Good to see you. Coming up on the show, Donald Trump made his first post-White House TV interview in response to Rush Limbaugh's passing and still thinks he won the election. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Former President Trump gave his first post-White House TV interview to remember radio host Rush Limbaugh, who died at the age of 70 from cancer. Uh, Trump said in the interview that he spoke with Limbaugh three or four days ago before he died of stage four lung cancer. Here's a bit of that interview. He would just talk for two hours or three hours, just talk. And that's not an easy thing to do. And I once asked him, I said, do you study for the show? Or, and he said, actually, I study for the which, which a little bit, Harris, that a little bit surprised me. But, but he was a fantastic man, a fantastic talent. And uh, people, whether they loved him or not, they respected him. They really did. So it brought up many things on social media, a lot of conservatives from uh, Trump to Glenn Beck saying how we've lost someone and the world will be worse with him not in it. Gross. And it's a really sad, tragic day. (laughs) And I think it it also stirs up a lot for others who he alienated and uh, he insulted 
and did not accept in this society. I think alienate and insulted is just like the nicest words that she <laughs> could use. Um, to be honest, I, and this is controversial, but I feel like it was good news to find out that he died today. Um, I don't, I didn't want him to die, but I think one less terrible person on this earth uh, with the platform is actually pretty great. Um, it just, I guess I look at it in the sense of like, there's just truly no respecting dead people who dedicated their lives to causing harm to others and creating narratives and stereotypes onto others and the awful things that he has said that he has said about LGBTQ people, people of color, all anyone to be quite honest that wasn't a conservative republican um yeah that's his legacy and so I did not feel bad to hear the news that he died yeah he is a radio legend i guess but like girl what else does he have to offer besides like causing actual harm to people's lives? Felicia, bye. Right? It's yeah. bye, so, Felicia. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, perfect timing. Uh, so here's the thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, I don't think it's about celebrating someone who did what he did. On the other hand, as someone who doesn't support him, why even, yeah, give it the energy it needs to think in that way like it gives me weird vibes thinking about someone dying and saying like he's better off dead or i hope he dies like just that saying yeah. doesn't really feel you're good canadian you're too nice i think i just don't have any sympathy and i refuse to give sympathy who to people who didn't recognize my humanity or others and so when That's i true. don't if i if you're not going to recognize my humanity then girl bye i hope you have a great nap six feet in the ground like, do you don't need to be as extreme as Hitler. I feel like when I think about Hitler, I'm like, yeah, like, I'm I'm happy that he, well, he, he would have not been alive at this it point. It still sounds like you're a little like sad that he died. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, she's still so nice that she can't say that she's happy that no, Hitler's dead. Hitler uh, deserves to, uh, to have died. I don't, you know, yeah. Like at, in his old age, if he looked up at me, he was like, I'm, I apologize for everything I did. And be like, oh, no, I feel bad. No, screw that, Shira. That's a joke. Gross. That's a joke. Uh, but let us know what you think about this loss and Rush Limbaugh at LGT shows where you can find us on social media. Would love to hear from you. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more tributes coming in as the day. Uh, I hope uh, now, coming up on the show, Texas lawmakers are trying to pass pro-LGBTQ proposals, but do they have a chance? We're going to be looking at that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We are back. And, you know, Ryan, it is so easy to not leave your place, even if it's not freezing. I've been inside without leaving, I think, for um, all week. I don't think I actually have gone outside at all. Is, is that healthy? Do you think that you're the only person going through that? <laughs> You said that like you're the it's only weird. one. I don't. I don't remember the last time I've driven my car. <laughs> really? I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I go outside to walk mm -hmm. my dog. I think that's the good thing about having a pet. You you can exercise a little bit with that. But like for the most part, I, once I'm in the house, I'm in the house. You know, my boyfriend actually sometimes uh, he'll just say, "Oh, jump in the car. We're going to take a drive," and we'll literally just take a drive just to get out because. I feel that. Yeah, because otherwise you never leave your bubble. Mm -hmm. And it can kind of drive you a bit crazy. I, I think without realizing it, we're all going a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I mean, what? The show must go on. 
Exactly. And we're so excited to have actually, uh, speaking of someone who's inside because of everything happening in Texas right now, Jessica Gonzalez, who's a state representative over there, is joining us. She's one of the lawmakers who's trying to pass pro-LGBTQ proposals. So despite everything happening, she was able to join us today. So stay tuned for that conversation in 15 minutes. We really appreciate her for that. Um, And how public schools are working to recognize Black brilliance within a broken system. We, again, have have a great conversation ahead for you around that too. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas announced the Department of Homeland Security has seized more than 11 million counterfeit N95 masks in the last few weeks. That over the last few weeks, Homeland Security investigations, the criminal investigative arm uh, of ICE has seized over 11 million counterfeit N95 respirators intended to be used by frontline healthcare workers uh, throughout uh, the nation. That includes a seizure earlier today with special agents of Homeland Security Investigations, or HSI as it is commonly known, as seizing more than one million counterfeit masks as part of an ongoing investigation into a criminal enterprise distributing counterfeit masks throughout the United States. So just be careful of what you're buying and just make sure it's the real deal. And uh, Senator Mitt Romney has announced that he will oppose the Equality Act unless it includes language that would allow Christians to discriminate against LGBTQ people. Doesn't that defeat the purpose of the Equality Act? Basically. <laughs> the bill is a priority for the Biden administration, as we know, and Romney's vote could be critical for it to pass. Repu- Republicans have pledged to use the filibuster, which is a procedural tactic to obstruct legislation. And that would require Democrats to find 60 votes to end the filibuster and vote on the bill itself. And it does not appear that 10 GOP senators will vote in favor of LGBTQ rights to ensure the passage. So we'll see if Mitt Romney decides to be on the right side of history for that. But as of now, it's very questionable. And that was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Mandy Moore is speaking out on social media after publication tried to force her to speak about a past abusive relationship in an interview. It's time for your T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. Uh, In a screenshot posted to her Instagram story, um, basically she shared an email from an unidentified journalist. The writer decided to cancel an upcoming interview with Mandy after she declined to talk about an unnamed abuser from her past. Basically, the journalist was like, well... I can't do this full interview on you if you're not willing to talk about your past abuse, saying it would be wrong. Um, Well, Mandy was like, what? Are you kidding me? She responded saying that the journalist's words and called out interviewers who asked their subjects to relive trauma just for a headline. Uh, Mandy called the interview cancellation so out of touch with the cultural uh, discussion around abusive relationships. She wrote a whole statement on her IG store. If you want to check that out, head over to wearechannelq.com right now. And this is something we should most definitely be thinking about for sure. We need to talk more about this because this came up in the Britney Spears documentary too, watching these journalists ask these really inappropriate questions and how that used to be okay. And now it's obviously not okay and how journalism will change because of that. Yeah, I totally agree. And that is your tea report. Coming up on the show, as we mentioned, Texas lawmakers are trying to pass pro-LGBTQ proposals, but do they have a chance? Well, one of the state representatives joins us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. 
Lawmakers in Texas are seeking to pass bills granting non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people and banning conversion therapy through the Republican-controlled state legislature. Now, State Representative Jessica Gonzalez, who's the vice chair of the new Texas House LGBTQ Caucus, is planning to introduce a bill that would ban discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. And Representative Gonzalez joins us right now. Thanks for being here. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, so let's talk about this bill that you are introducing and just get into why it's so important. I think that a lot of people don't know um, that currently LGBTQ Texans um, can legally be fired, uh, refuse housing or denied services uh, simply because of who they are. Uh, and so Texas is one of uh, only 27 states uh, where there are no protections from discrimination um, based on sexual orientation or, or gender identity. Um, you know, and, and so what my bill would do um, and it was provide these protections in the areas of housing. Uh, and since 2015, um, at least 17 transgender Texans have been murdered. Wow. Um, leading the, the nation in transgender killings. Uh, you know, and as a, as a lifelong Texan, I know that Texans don't believe in discrimination. Uh, you know, we believe that everyone should be uh, treated equally under the law. Uh, and right now that's not the law in Texas. You know, uh, uh, you know Texans uh, are known for their Southern hospitality. You know, and, and, and recent polling data shows that an overwhelming majority of Texans across all major religions uh, don't believe in discrimination. And so, right, it's, so it's time that, that our laws, you know, uh, I reflect that. Uh, you know, fortunately, yeah. you know, I, we have gotten some bipartisan support on this bill, which is the first time this has ever happened. Well, I've, I'm interested. I'm so in intrigued by what you were saying about how you feel like Texans are very um, just they, they don't believe in discrimination. And I think oftentimes people would look at the way the state votes blue or whatever law that they already have in place. And even the HRC campaign recently found that Texas was a high priority to achieve basic equality in its annual state equity um, equality index. I was wondering, though, can you break down what this saved the Chick-fil-A law is. I've never heard of it, but now I'm, I'm like starving. <laughs> uh, you know, so that was, so we, we formed the LGBTQ caucus um, last session, mm -hmm. um, which was in my first legislative session. And for the first time in Texas history, we had more than two um, open LGBTQ members serving the Texas house. Uh, prior to that, it had only ever been two. Um, after the November um, election, uh, we had five total. And so this is the first time that we, we had um, that kind of representation in the Texas legislature. Um, and so, you know, we decided to form this caucus. Um, and, you know, and, and the importance of the caucus is, you know, I think LGBTQ Texans, um, they, they need to know that they're being represented in, in their state capital, um, especially our kids. You know, we, we, you know, we've seen these attacks on our transgendered youth um, in previous sessions before I served. Uh, and so I think that, you know, it's symbolic in that way. But, you know, we, uh, it, it, we also serve in the way that we're going to advocate um, for pro-equality issues, but then also to be on the defense. State Representative Jessica Gonzalez joins us right now. Uh, what you mentioned is so important, but we all know that Texas just passed and signed into law protections for anti-LGBTQ discrimination in the last session. So what are the chances that this can get passed? And, and I'll just quickly cover the, the Chick-fil-A bill that was mentioned. Uh, that was actually one that we were, as a caucus, we were able to negotiate. Uh -huh. and, and yes, it, it ended up passing, but essentially it doesn't do anything. It, it, it essentially just regurgitates what the law currently is. Mm. Uh, and so we were able to take out some language in there that would have been damaging um, to LGBTQ Texans. Now, you know, serving 
you know, um, in the House, it's important for to have representation there because we're on committees. We serve with, you know, alongside our Republican uh, colleagues. And to be honest with you, they don't, they really don't believe um, in discrimination. They don't want to vote against the, you know, the, uh, against good, you know, pro-equality legislation. Um, and so I feel that, you know, with, with a comprehensive bill, yes, um, you know, we were expecting to have a different election outcome in November. Uh, we were hoping to flip the Texas House, um, you know, in the hopes that, yes, it would make it a little bit easier uh, for us to, to pass a comprehensive bill like this. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, but that doesn't mean that 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 does not remain my priority uh, to continue advocating uh, to continue to continue having these conversations with my Republican colleagues because I know that they don't believe in discrimination. You know, but if they if don't just, want, if they don't rhetoric. like discrimination, then why are, why does it feel like you have to continue to like show your humanity? Like if they if they're not if they see you as who you are, then how come that is not reflecting in the laws that they're supporting? Well, I think one of, you know, I think part of it is that, um, you know, I have a good, I have a good friend in the house, a colleague that, that, you know, says it's hard to hate up close. Right. And I think that, right. Having a presence in the house, uh, it makes it hard for them to, to hate up close. And so back to that Chick-fil-A bill, the day that it passed and we gave, you know, each one of the founding members gave these passionate speeches on the house floor. Uh, and, and, it, and seeing our colleagues, our Republican colleagues still vote for that bill. They couldn't even look me in the eye for a good week. Just because we're trying to work on this both sides thing when it's kind of like, if you if you really mean that, if you see me for who I am and you like me for who I am, then support the laws that would support me. You know, their <laughs> argument is always that I have to vote my district. Um, and, and clearly, and, you know, and I mentioned, I know, and I mentioned this, you know, recent polling um, that shows that an overwhelming majority of Texans don't believe in discrimination. And so I challenged them, hey, well, clearly you don't know your district. You don't you 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 haven't you haven't you know looked at this polling data to show that people in your district they don't believe in this stuff and so you you keep following this you know this antiquated uh, Republican you know or conservative belief that um, that all Republicans. Uh, uh, you know, want to discriminate against the LGBTQ community. They really don't. And Jessica, we want to have you back on because we yes. appreciate all oh the work God. you're doing. Um, and we do have to have th these conversations, including somewhere like Texas. That was State Representative Jessica Gonzalez, also the vice chair of the new Texas House LGBTQ Caucus. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. Coming up on the show, how the school system needs to change to recognize gifted black students. We'll tell you how next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Well, black students represent 15.5% of the student population in the U.S. They represent only 9.9% .9 of all students in gifted and talented programs. Now, Donna Ford is here to explain why and what can be done to change these numbers. Uh, Ford is a distinguished professor of education at The Ohio State University. Thanks for being here. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. So tell us why gifted children and students who are black aren't getting the support needed to progress in what we're seeing right now. Well, I want to preface my remarks by saying that there are other underrepresented populations as well. For example, Hispanic students and uh, Native American students. But of all minoritized groups, black children are consistently the most underrepresented. And study after study after study has shown that the number one reason, the primary reason is that teachers do not refer black students for gifted and talented programs to 
and equitable level. Now, why does referral matter? Because the first step often in the majority of school districts to be identified as gifted, to, you know, to be assessed for gifted, to be considered for gifted, is that a teacher has to refer you or fill out some type of checklist uh, about you. And that is not what's happening. And I want to, I want to add that, and this is extremely important, even when Black students have the same profile academically, uh, intellectually, their family income matches white students, families um, educational level matches white students, they are still under-referred. So we will not say it's an issue of poverty. Mm-hmm. Middle-class, upper-income Black students are also not being referred. Is this happening more so regionally? Uh, like, is it happening in different regions more than others? Like, I'm from the South, and I feel like this is something that I often saw, whether if it was myself, even though I had the the great opportunity to, one, be kind of picked out and say, hey, do you want to graduate early? And I was able to graduate early and, and move forward in the educational system. Um but I, I wonder, do, is that something that you've seen? It happens more so like what in the South, more so than the West Coast or East Coast or North, like our Midwest. What does that look like for you region wise? Well, that's a really thoughtful question. And no, <laughs> I'm just point blank. Yeah, yeah. Just point blank. It is not regional. A few years ago, a few colleagues and I, looked at the representation of black students in every single state. And we found that the vast majority of time there was underrepresentation. Now I've been in the field of gifted education since let's just say 91 when I got my doctoral degree. Uh, I cannot even recall being in a district where underrepresentation was um, not an issue. All you have to do is go into a school building, walk up and down the hallway and look at what you perceive to be black students, white students, um, Hispanic students, and so on. And when you see it being almost all white, it's a gifted class. It's an advanced placement class. And when you see it being predominantly black, it's probably special education. Donna Ford, Distinguished Professor of Education at the Ohio State University joins us now. So what work are you doing to change this and help families in need? What it, what needs to happen now? We, we see this. We know it. How do we move forward and create change? Well, first of all, it is, and I want to emphasize that possible, to be more equitable in identifying and serving as well as referring uh, black students for gifted programs. And it takes uh, quite a bit of effort in the sense that we have to make sure that we are, meaning higher education and um, professional development is preparing teachers to work with students who are culturally different than the, than white students and we and more we have to prepare teachers in gifted education you all may not know this but most teachers working with gifted students don't even have uh, the credentials uh, to do so so educational training in uh, is really essential we must focus on helping teachers to become more culturally competent so having the knowledge skills and dispositions not to be anti 
I mean, not to be racist, but to be anti-racist. And we have to be bold and direct and talk to them about their biases, both implicit and explicit. And it takes time. You know, a lot of the damage that society has done in terms of promoting stereotypes and biases about Black students, especially our Black males. So teacher training is crucial. Yes, we have to work with the families. We've got to make sure that there is proactive and sustained outreach to um, inform families about gifted education. Well, Donna Ford, we'd love to continue this conversation, but we've got to end it here. Thank you again for being with us today. Donna Ford is a distinguished professor of education at The Ohio State University. Now coming up on the show, to FaceTime or not to FaceTime, and that is the question. Why some of you might want to think twice next time you feel like spontaneously FaceTiming someone, that's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. There was an article on Mashable.com, and it was all about how you shouldn't spontaneously FaceTime people and expect them to pick up. This is the new social etiquette in our virtual world. FaceTime, it's just too much, right? We can barely see each other, but FaceTime, at least prepare me mentally. Let me get ready to experience a FaceTime with you. Is this something that you go through, Ryan? Um, I actually wholeheartedly disagree with you. Uh, I think quarantine has become the only form, FaceTime has become the only form of communication that I prefer. Um, I've said on this show, friends know I hate texting. It's not my thing. I often will forget to respond. But FaceTiming, call me, I'll pick up, and we sit on the phone for like hours. And like that's literally the way that me and my friends talk now. Like the people that I've like, I talk to basically on a regular basis, we will literally sit on FaceTime for like, I think the longest call has been like three or four hours. And it's just like, just us talking and hanging out. It like replaces hanging out with someone because you're actually seeing them. You're talking, they're in your living room. And so I think FaceTime, because of quarantine, it has really changed my view on it. Yeah, so this is interesting because I'm not, I'm into texting, but I don't like those long texts. Like someone's like, how are you? And what I'm going to write down like a whole detailed You don't do voice of how I'm doing. Yes, I'm a voice texter. Some people hate that. They like really do not like the voice text situation because the worst is when you're halfway through and then it somehow cuts out and you need to start it off. Oh my God, Sheila Lazar, that is so true. I because I didn't even recognize that I hated that until it happened to me because I feel like I'm I like a voice text now. At first, I was very shocked by it, but now I I, I will do it. But it sucks when it's like a three minute voice chat <laughs> and then it like your your uh, screen goes on like auto close or whatever, and then you got to listen to it. Like there needs to be a way to rewind and fast forward totally. and all these things, or or it, it disappears. Yes. And someone's like like uh, soul sharing text you just lose it oftentimes i don't ever again i mean oftentimes i'll be like if it's gone i don't remember what i said and so i'm like oh okay (laughs) so here's the thing and i'm actually surprised you're so into spontaneous facetime because i know that sometimes you feel like oh if you're not like put together or you're like not set up properly you don't like that but maybe you like it when it's someone like not work-wise, but something more personal. Well, that's why I said quarantine has changed that for me. I think before, yeah, you worry about if there's good lighting, if you look cute enough, all these things. But 
I think at this point, we all know that we're sitting on our couches in pajamas, our boxer briefs, our panties. So it's like, that's what I love about it. Who cares? So the big question I have is, are we all going to be quick to then get together in person? I know some people already are kind of are doing the social distance hangouts, which we were doing, but now it's kind of feeling like, okay, vaccines are happening. The numbers are going down. I find a lot of people and with this outdoor dining situation back are like, let's meet for a happy hour or let's take a walk outside. And I've kind of gotten so used to doing a video chat or a Zoom chat that I kind of don't feel like I want to get together with people in person. Oh, I get that. I mean, it's just the idea of just maybe having a camera burnout. So I, I can understand that well, as well. Well, no, I mean, no, I don't want to get together with people in person. Like, I don't oh, care. Oh, you prefer, much work. yeah, you prefer like, just the easy. Because then I have to, yeah. like, drive somewhere or schedule, like, 15 to 30 minutes in between the hangout. True. It's not like video chat where you can just go from one to the next or go back to your own thing. It becomes, like, more work and more of, like, an energy exchange. And I'm actually, like, really worried I'm going to become this weird antisocial person. Like, you have to come to me. I'm not going to you. I'm not going to meet you anywhere. Well, girl, don't worry, because as soon as I can get the vaccine, uh, the vaccine, they can shoot my arm up. I am ready for it. Okay. well, there you go. Again, we want to hear from you. Uh, How do you feel about FaceTime these days? Do you like to get them spontaneously or do you need to get yourself prepared? At LGT Show on social media is where you can hit us up. Now, coming up on the show, Nevada has ended its policy of segregating and isolating HIV positive inmates. More details on that next on What's Trending this hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. You know, I'm not sure if you do know, but it's Mercury retrograde. So, you know, this is the the time that when you have breakdowns in tech or schedule, everyone blames it on Mercury retrograde. I am guilty of that, but I must say, it kind of starts getting annoying or stupid, or just maybe it's a good excuse. Who knows? I, I think sometimes we need the excuse um, because it gets rough oh. out here. <laughs> you think, yeah. right? We'll just take anything, right? Leave it to Mercury retrograde. Anything so we don't need to take on something else. More stress. Yeah, if I let Shira just plan this entire show by herself, it would be nothing but like talking to trees and talking about the moon. <laughs> Well, enough of you, Ryan. Coming up on the show, a study reveals men who sound gay face more discrimination from straight people. And one of the authors joins us for what we can learn about all of that at 520 Pacific, 820 Eastern. And he joins us all the way from London. So stick around for that. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. In a meeting with labor leaders today on COVID relief, President Biden says it's not about the money. It's uh, it's not about the, the money. It's about in order to do everything from open schools as we should to make sure that we're generating income for people who are in real trouble. Uh, it's about how much it costs. The federal government has to chip in, make sure we get this done. And as I said, almost every major economist in the country and International Monetary Fund as well says it's going to grow the economy. But yet it is. The Senate needs to pass its coronavirus relief bill by the end of the month and see it signed into law before March 14th when key unemployment programs expire. That's more scary stuff ahead. Now, Apple's adding a bunch of new emojis with a focus on inclusivity, plus a few notable extras and timely updates. There's going to be 200 uh, uh, new emoticons or emojis. (laughs) 
And they call them emoticons or emojis. Emojis. You are so, like, I'd be like, you are really showing your age, 1994. I, <laughs> I think that's what they so call 200 them. of these include couples with a mix of skin tones, including same-sex partners. There are also new gender options for the bearded person emoji, meaning you can choose between a woman or a man with facial, facial hair. So uh, look out for those changes coming very soon to your emoji space on your phone. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Moving on. Nevada's Department of Corrections will no longer formally discriminate against inmates living with HIV thanks to a settlement reached within the U.S. Justice Department. This is an early yes, queen. As part of the settlement, Nevada prison staff and inmates will now have to undergo training on HIV discrimination. And the state's Department of Corrections will implement a grievance process, allowing people to formally claim anti-HIV bias. Okay. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, so guess who's getting engaged? Or, well, I guess who is engaged? It's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Um, Paris Hilton. I feel like I have like a little soft spot for her ever since I interviewed her. And then, of course, my childhood, I just obsessed with her. Um, but Paris Hilton is engaged to her her boyfriend, uh, Carter. I don't know how to say his last name. Room, Reem. Carter Roym. Roym. I mean, you know, I actually know this guy, and I still have trouble with his uh, last name. <laughs> no, Reem. Carter Reem. Reem. That's why I was like, I think it, the U is just silent. I don't know why the U's there, but yes. Uh, she is engaged after more than a year of dating. A news of their engagement comes on Hilton's 40th birthday. How cute is that? I mean, what a great birthday present. Yeah, they are really cute, I must say. I think this is real. I know she's been engaged. I don't think she's been married before, but engaged a lot. And I, I think this one is the one that's going to stick. And so it's very sweet. And I can't believe she's 40. We are officially getting old. Well, yeah. And I think it's, um, she's been planning on having a baby with this guy. Oh, yeah. Like they're doing IVF treatment. So, yeah, I think this one's sticking for sure. That's your tea report. I'm super excited for Paris Hilton. I'm very excited. She says, I'm excited for our next chapter. Um, but before we get out of here, I got to tell you about your chance to win your way into an exclusive pay-per-view concert special with Max and his Color Vision Deluxe experience. Head over to We Are Channel Q and enter for your chance to win a pair of press... Head over to We Are Channel Q and enter for your chance to win a pair of passes plus a VIP meet and greet with Max. The contest ends soon, so you better get into it. I think it ends literally this Friday. So you got three days. You're welcome. That's your tea report. Coming up next, a study that has revealed men who sound gay face more discrimination from straight people. We've got one of the professors behind that study joining us next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. A report has revealed the implications of sounding gay. Gay men who believe that they sound gay are more likely to be worried about discrimination, a study found. And gay men were more likely to be worried about this than lesbian women, among many other things this study discovered. And joining us is Fabio Fasoli, who's a lecturer in social psychology of the, at the University of Surrey in England, uh, who was part of this. Thanks for being here. Hi, thank you for inviting me. So tell us more about why you all decided to do this research. Yeah, so it started a long time ago, actually. And um, then it became very interesting because I don't know if you remember, but like in 2014, there was a documentary titled Do I Sound Gay? And I got to work with David Forbes, who was part of the project. So, you know, in the documentary, he explored how he feels about himself and his voice. 
But at that point, I realized there was not much research on that. And so I was like, okay, I do uh, research on LGBT psychology. And I was interested in understanding what kind of beliefs people have and how can this affect the way they feel and the, the kind of like experiences they have. So in the actual paper we published, we, we did two studies. One was on heterosexual people and the, the kind of beliefs they have. And what we found was that heterosexual people who endorse the idea that the gay voice exists and gay and straight people talk differently and you can detect sexual orientation are also those people who uh, stigmatize um, gay sounding people more. But the second study is the one I was more interested in. And it was like, what are the um, beliefs and uh, how gay people feel about their own voices? So we asked them, um, do you think you sound gay and to what extent? And as you mentioned, we found that if a gay man um, feels that he sounds gay, then he's more likely to expect rejections from others. And also they try to be more vigilant and you know they might try to change the way they sound when they talk with someone or they might avoid talking just because they are afraid of like people commenting on their voice or their sexuality. So this is very interesting for me because can you imagine how stressful it must be if you believe to sound gay and you expect to be rejected by other? It means you're constantly looking and checking and make sure that you know you're not the target of discrimination. Is that a them problem though? Are they just experiencing internalized like internalization of homophobia? I I feel like I have been someone who has always been identified as a woman. If they people don't know me, I, my voice is very particular, and um, I think hearing people, especially reading that and 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 seeing that if people who identify as gay feel a certain way about their own voice, that they kind of change themselves, is that them kind of dealing with like this internalized homophobia? It could be. I mean, that's not something we have explored in yeah. this study, but definitely if, uh, you know, if they feel that sounding gay is negative and it's shameful or whatever, then of course they might feel that they need to change. Whereas people who might feel good, whatever, you know, yeah. way they sound like, they will be probably okay. But because people and, and gay men are aware of this very strong stereotype about the gay voice, they might be very, you know, focused on, okay, maybe people will reject me. They might decide to react in a way, in a positive way or negative way, but still they are aware that this is something that people might pick up yeah. and come Again, we're talking to Fabio Fasoli, who's a lecturer in social psychology at the University of Surrey in England about this study that, ca that came out about men who sound gay and the discrimination they face from straight people. Uh, so wh what's the takeaway of this? Like now that you have all this information, what are we all supposed to do with it? That's a good question. I think there are two things we can do. First of all, we should help gay uh, people, gay men, especially in this case, in this case to feel like that they sh it doesn't matter how they sound, they should be, you know, proud of who they are, regardless of their voice. Uh, and yeah, they, they might expect discrimination, but we can help them dealing with them. Of course, at a, an ideal level, we would like society to change. And so does it really matter how we sound? Do we need to have these very strong stereotypes and negative connotation associated with the gay sounding voice? Well, if we trying to communicate and change the stereotype or like make sure that people don't sort, you know, it doesn't really matter if voice is a cue of sexual orientation, then of course things might change. Uh, this makes me think about, you know, 
representation in the media. Uh, if you, there are cartoons and movies in which um, gay men are um, have a very specific type of voice that kind of like emphasize the stereotype. You know, if we start changing that, that probably something will change, hopefully. Okay, well, that was Fabio Fasoli, who's a lecturer in social psychology at the University of Surrey in England. Thank you so much for being here, and we appreciate your work on this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. You know, Ryan, I love love. I am cheesy. Well, uh, I love the story we're about to share with you. Uh, it all started with this uh, guy, Saxon Porter, okay? He was like just a, a guy in college. Well, he met this 88-year-old Richard Ledbetter who happened to work the overnight shift as a security guard as well. Imagine 88 years old working the graveyard shift. So I guess this young guy and this older guy became friends and he realized that this guy, Richard, the 88-year-old is this amazing poet and he writes love poems. He's been writing love poems uh, since his wife passed, his first wife passed. And so they basically became friends and the whole thing blew up and he put it online. Here's a bit of that story from the local news station. Saxon Porter wanted people to read Richard's poems. You my inspiration. You lift me up, you fill my cup. Like inspire people, whatever it was. Shall I convey to a rose? And he wanted to help his friend. In the love I feel. His YouTube channel blew up the second we put it up. Now the GoFundMe supports the medical bills and them finding a new place right now. So he published a book. The book blew up once we posted it to Reddit. I was amazing. I didn't, I didn't know. You know, people need to know that there is love in the world. It's not so scary. So the book, it is out on Amazon. It's called Portraits of Love. I love love poems. So I could totally see myself when I'm that age, just sharing love poems with the youngins and hoping they'll help me go viral. Uh, this actually reminds me, I had a friend or coworker at the time who we worked, both worked at Panera Bread, and there was this little old man that would come in every single day, get the same coffee, and chill. Well, I logged onto Facebook one day and found out that my old coworker ended up becoming like buddies with him. And literally, it was like years. They had been friends, and like they would go to dinner. He got, he came over to his family's house for Christmas. And then, like, I guess it's this kind of ending on a sad note but like I found out because the guy had passed and I had no clue that my old co-worker was still in his life and I was just like wow that is so mm. interesting and so sweet and yeah it reminded me of that story so well, yeah I just love I love that. this yeah exactly exactly so we just wanted to highlight that today and that does it for our Yaz Queen of the Day and our show today yes Queen but don't worry, we are back tomorrow. Weekdays here for you on Channel Q, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Live. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to be talking about this gay throuple who opened up about their historic fight for all three of them to be named their children's fathers. Uh, plus, with all those Zoom meetings happening, why sitting down all day isn't as bad for your health as you fear. I don't know about this, but I'm interested to find out more. That's tomorrow. And if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the radio com app and search let's go there and that's where you can find the podcast it's that easy now we are sending you love and light and honey remember to slay see you tomorrow have a great night and stick around for love line with dr chris will be covering how bad marriages can harm children don't we all know that that's next have a good nap too bye y'all exactly